0: Welcome back to the Soda Pop Podcast. I am Mark. We're all looking over here at this wall. And my tiny little phone is right there. Hello, phone. Hi, phone. Uh, <laughs> today, Hi, phone, we have a really cool uh, a really cool guest with us. And actually, we're, we're trying out a new format real quick um, in this episode. It's really cool. We actually have our first our first guest host. And uh, Dr. Tom is going to be our first guest host. Hello, hello. Um, y'all probably, if you know him. Dr. Tom, but also he's Vanessa's husband. She works in our office as well. If you don't know her, now you do. <laughs> but um, I just want to start off by, by um, saying like a couple of things that, that our guest here, his name is Lance LeDuc. He's here for um, our Department of Music. They're having uh, their guest artist series, and so he's here to talk with them, and um, I'm sure Dr. Tom will get more into that in a second. But I just want to say, you have been involved in so much,
1: (laughs) so much. It's true. I'm old. That's what happens. If you stick around long enough, then you get to do lots of things.
0: I will say I have this short, this is a short bio. There's a longer one on the other side, and I just have, like, there's so many things just in the short bio. So, like, you've been part of the U.S. Air Force bands, the River City Brass, the Brass Band of Battle Creek, and you've played, like, all over the country that's incredible, especially like being part, being able to be part of the Pittsburgh Symphony and the Philadelphia Orchestra as well. That's incredible. I guessed,
1: I guessed, artists did, did, did with them. I, I, <laughs> I was not a full-fledged member of either of those groups, but I was honored to get to play with both. That's. Uh, those are pretty good bands. Still amazing, <laughs> either way. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: now I kind of want to kick things off, Doctor Tom. Why don't you kind of introduce yourself and then tell us a little bit about. About Lance and why you decided to have him come and speak to your classes. Okay, um, I grew up in New Jersey.
2: You know, did the whole all-state orchestra, all-state band thing. Went to some schools and actually did my artist diploma between my master and my doctorate at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, where Lance teaches now. And uh, Craig Knox was in here with Center City Brass Quintet three years ago, and he's like, "You really need to bring Lance out." So I brought him out to my old job at uh, Wright State in Dayton. And just the way he was talking to the kids, getting them to think about their careers and their passion for music in terms of how do I make a business out of this? How do I not just follow the I get a music ed degree, then I go and I'm a band director, or I play the tuba for a living, and that's all I do. You know, there has to be other avenues. And we had probably a hundred kids at Wright State, okay. and for about two two and a half hours just watching Lance go through different students and walking them through their um, what their passions were and how they can try to expand their portfolio so when the opportunity came up just brought them in again and had a good little shorter clinic today with the students but
0: yeah okay so now here's a here's a big question this is gonna be for you can both share your opinions on this um, why do you both think that having guest artists come in and speak is like important to students in their development and the learning process?
1: Well, I've seen it from both sides. I have a regular gig now at Carnegie Mellon, and I bring guests in as well. And so there's lots of reasons to do that. One is that... Uh, giving the students a broad variety of perspectives is incredibly important because each student is different and how they learn is different and the things that resonate with one student may not resonate with all students and so I come at things from a certain um, angle and if that's the only exposure they have to these ideas then I'm not giving them what they need and then the other thing is selfishly Sometimes it's very useful as a teacher to have somebody who's an outside quote-unquote expert come in and say the exact same thing that I say to them over and over and over again. But the way they say it or they hear it because it's a guest and they go, oh, well, why didn't you tell us that? Meanwhile, I've been telling them that for three and a half years, but they just heard it in a way that they hadn't heard it before. So uh, it, it's um, that's kind of my That's my assessment of it.
2: Yeah, I would totally agree. It's one of the first questions I ask you when we were walking back is, how am I teaching? Because I think as artists, as educators, the minute we become stagnant and say, this is how I do something, this is the only way I do something, the students stop learning as effectively because I'm only presenting information one way. And if I can get to be a better teacher by bringing people that also teach at colleges that I went to, you know, it's it's a good way for me to stay fresh as a teacher, to get other people's ideas, and to get the students to really think, because if Lance says something to them, Dr. Tom says this, Lance says this, how do I make those two things mesh, and sometimes they will, sometimes they won't, but then I can have a conversation with the student and say, do it the way Lance said it, do it the way I said it. What are the values of each of those? How do you think that you could apply this one? Maybe this is a good idea, but not right now. Maybe we can apply this over here.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: just to get the kids to think because I think there's too much I'm forty-two, I'm going my old man soapbox. Uh-huh. I think there's too much just regurgitation happening in education as a whole and we lost the art of making the kids actually think about why, not just memorize the material. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and it leads also, it leads directly into the notion of entrepreneurship where if you are going to be, we'll stay with the music example, if you're going to be in a large ensemble, then your responsibility is to to your colleagues to play and be a part of this section and deliver this music in the way that the section and the conductor have agreed that this is the way we're going to do things. And... That's kind of a cog in a wheel, not to be super harsh about it, but cog in a wheel in terms of corporate think and the way large organizations tend to think. And you do this thing this way, and that's the way it fits in the overall. Where in an entrepreneurial um, endeavor or a chamber music endeavor, then it's if the three of us are in a chamber group and I feel like you two are not playing together, then I have to figure out, How do I best, because if I don't get all three of us on the same page, we're sunk. And um, if I'm one of a hundred and one of us isn't pulling their weight, it might not be as noticed as if there's one of three of us. So now I have to deal with, interpersonally, how do I deal with this, dealing with you as closer of a peer and you as a student? How do I get you to, to communicate in such a way that benefits all three of us? What choice of words do I use? And these are all, so bringing new ideas into the teaching studio, is it's training wheels for that sort of experience where you're having to deal with people of varying degrees, varying um, experience level, and varying um, learning and communication styles and we've got to somehow figure out a way to put this musical product together on the road and move it down the road. And that's the same if it's a three-person coffee shop or it's a three-person chamber music ensemble.
0: All right. So now I'm going to turn it over to my guest host, Dr. Tom. And I'm just going to, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to enjoy. I'm going to listen. I'm going to learn. And I'm going to make sure we keep it within our time limit. <laughs>
1: What's our time? We have four hours is what Tom told me. Yeah.
2: I have nothing till four, so. So yeah, good for a little bit, I think.
0: Normally, we try to keep it <laughs> within 30 minutes. Yeah, I'm glad we got I that. I would on love video. to have a four hour one, but we'll try and keep it to 30 minutes. But you guys feel free to take it away. All right, okay. Uh, few questions for you. Yes, can you just give us your thoughts
2: on? back to the old man's soapbox, Um, talking about what the modern musician needs, whether it's an educator or a performer, but how can you, if you had curriculum all up to yourself, what would you add to help students be more competitive in today's market?
1: Um, That's a big question. It's an awesome question. So I will, there's, skills and experiences are kind of the way that I sort of break it down in my mind. And so in terms of skills, they students need to be able to um, identify opportunities in the marketplace. They need to be able to communicate effectively. They need to be able to create, build something from the ground up. Like I have this idea for a thing. How do I make it manifest? How do I like actually get this thing to be a real I have I want to put this trio together how do I now what and then even though we have some music together that doesn't mean that we're going to work like how do we negotiate how do we create a contract how do we ask for money how do we set up a bank account how do we um, make a five-year plan how do we decide um, to prioritize this effort over that effort and we have finite resources how do we decide we're going to put the money In all in on this project, or we're going to split it over these other projects. So there's a certain number of skills that go above and beyond. I guess we're talking a lot about business and entrepreneurship. The minimum cost for admission into all of this is that you are a phenomenal musician. So I don't want the notion that you have to work on your musical craft to be lost because without that, there is the rest of it doesn't matter. If you're, you can get all. you you might only get the universe to pay attention to you once or the Andy Warhol you know 15 minutes of fame thing so you want to make sure that if you do you are successful and you get the universe to look at you or some subset of it that you have something worthwhile to say <laughs> and that it's a quality thing that you're putting out in the world because otherwise the it'll people will turn instantly away and just sort of write you off you probably won't get a second chance so you want to have those sort of basic um, skills and then you need a set of experiences that go along with them which they're the they're the sandbox they're the the try and try again and try and fail and then try and fail better and just sort of iterate and iterate and iterate and there's a there's a philosophy in in business called lean thinking or lean startup is a book by Eric Reese and it's it's a it's a ready fire aim mentality is kind of the way I think of it where You get just enough information to move down the road and then you act and then based on the reaction that you get to that action then you go from there like you might let's say we were going to put this trio together and we have a couple of different directions we might go musically well as soon as we have a piece let's get it in front of some people and see how they react to it let's don't wait till we have two hours of music and then we put the two hours out there and then realize that we actually need four people, or we need two people, or we have completely, we, this just the wrong instrumentation. Or we, you know, like get it in front of the people who are going to be making decisions about whether to give you money or not quickly and often, and learn from your mistakes and take it all in. Um, I think one of the other most important skills to develop is Bravery and a willingness to say, I believe this has value. I believe that this is a thing that should live in the world. And if you look at the great artists, you look at, uh, take your pick. I mean, if you look at Louis Armstrong, Louis Armstrong had to do what he did. Like that was music that was in him and it had to come out the way that it came out. And then he, if you listen to his early recordings and then you listen to the evolution of his playing and then his singing and then his showmanship it all makes perfect sense and it was all uniquely him and it had to, there was only that was the only way he could have done that and if he didn't then there wouldn't be the there wouldn't have been a Miles Davis you know if he if if Louis Armstrong hadn't done what he did then it wouldn't have laid the groundwork for those who followed so there's a certain amount of bravery that the that, that, that artists have to have And either arrogance or naivete to believe that this thing that I (laughs) believe in, or some of both, (laughs) this has value. This is worth existing. This is worth being in the world. And then you're faced with, once you find that thing, assuming you find that thing, and there'll be lots of false starts. I mean, there'll be lots and lots. Well, I mean, you might luck out. But it, it often takes many, many attempts at finding a thing until you find the thing. Um, but then you got to figure out, well, how do I get this out into the world? How do I get what's the best delivery mechanism for this thing? And a uh, uh, pop song is different than an opera and that's different than a jazz tune and that's different than a sculpture and that's different than a short film and that's. Different. So what, what's the best way for this thing to live in the world? And then how do I find the people who are going to dig it? So I mean, that really under, undergirds the whole structure. Like I can teach you, The forms of incorporation and whether you should be an LLC or a C-Corp or a not-for-profit. But, I mean, if you don't have a good idea to begin with and you don't have an audience or a marketplace for it, then what in the world, like, all of the knowledge about how to use LegalZoom to set up your entity is useless because nobody wants it. Because
2: it's not a viable product. It's not a viable product, yeah. It's real interesting you say that because over my years just teaching the performance majors, well, I don't know, should I take this audition? Should I not take this audition? It's like, just go take it. There's no waiting for, I got to be ready to take the audition. Go take it and see how that evolves. See how you react under that set of stress. Come back, let's talk about it, figure out. Okay, so your valve's stuck. Did you oil your valves? No. Okay, well, and then we just develop this checklist that they go through. Right. Um, Do you think that, if I was going to start, you have experience with brass quintets. Sure. With a member of the Boston Brass. Do you think if a student group wanted to start a brass quintet, it would be smarter them to find a model that's already existing and in the initial stages copy that and do everything they can to research what that group has done to sort of be the second person or the third person in line? Like a lot of people do the Empire thing, the Center City thing, the Canadian thing. Mm-hmm. Do you think following in somebody's footsteps initially, before you're able to sort of walk your own path, is a good way to start out with?
1: Well, you can learn a whole bunch by doing that. Like, okay. Where are the places that are going to have a brass quintet? The the problem, you know, there's a. Um, I have. They've learned to stop asking me, but I've had a number (laughs) of uh, students uh, and or not students hit me up and say, hey, I want to start a brass quintet. And my first question is always, why? And if it's because we dig the repertoire and the five of us really get along and we want to make a little extra bread and none of us want to work at the coffee shop, we would rather if we can play wedding gigs and ceremonies and church stuff and Easter and Christmas and maybe, you know, That'd be fun. Okay, cool. Then you should do that. And there's a lot to be learned about that. Um, you know, contract negotiation, uh, re- rehearsing a group, playing at a really high level, creating arrangements. There's tons and tons of stuff to learn. But if you want to get, if you want to make your living as a chamber brass musician, I would argue that being in a, starting a brass quintet is the worst possible path for you. And that is because that is what you would call a a red ocean. And in a red ocean, there's lots of competition for the same amount of work. work. And so um, I would rather that you find a blue ocean. And it's, so to me, the most interesting thing that's happened in the last 10 years in brass quintets is monosal brass. And there's seven of them. So they don't do anything that normal quote unquote normal brass quintets do. Like there's a path for brass quintets now, thanks to the Canadian Brass and the Empire Brass. Chicago brass you could argue. But really Empire and the Canadians kind of put it on the map. And Dallas Brass, Center City Brass, Boston Brass, Rhythm and Brass, like all these groups have kind of gotten in line and they did all then we're gonna play some of this kind of music and some of this kind of music. We're probably gonna have somebody tell some jokes. Maybe we're gonna do a little you know, like it'll there's just involved a little skate. And then we're going to get on the circuit and we're going to do that thing. And the most interesting ones are people, the ministry groups to me are the groups that that um, staked a claim on a, uh, it's branding basically, you know, Minozel Brass. Uh, this is a little inside baseball. I'm sorry. It's very brass heavy. But if you're not familiar with brass, so brass quintet, actually the most commonly asked question when I was in Boston Brass was, how many people are in your quintet? So... For those of you who are not math majors, there are five people in a quintet. And so the Canadian brass and the Empire brass that I've mentioned before, it's a pretty well-trodden path. Certain repertoire that you play in a certain sort of way, you dress a certain sort of way, and you do a certain sort of thing. It's gotten, by by and large, it's it's a track. And then Monosal brass came along and there's two extra of them. And so then that gave them different they could do different things sonically. It was a little bit louder when they wanted it to be. They had more bodies on stage, so they could redeploy some of those bodies doing theatrical things if they wanted. They not only memorized their show, but they went from having, you know, the the group I was in, Boston Brass and all those other groups, a lot of patter between, a lot of talking between tunes and, um, you know, sort of trying to, break down the fourth wall and, and bring in audiences that way there's no talking in their shows it's a theatrical performance so they work with a a, a design like a, a stage director basically and so you combine these things and it turns out that you get this amazing artistic output because they didn't do the normal thing so why not make a quartet or a trio or a nonet or a Uh, why not throw a couple of woodwinds in there or an electronic musician or a, 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 I don't care, a singer or a violinist or an accordion player just to mix it up and make a a different kind of artistic statement. Otherwise, you're just sort of regurgitating the things that you could learn by having a brass quintet. Uh, Yeah, you can learn all those things, but you could learn them and make an artistic decision as well. I always... This is kind of as an aside. My advice to budding um, chamber musicians is to start with the who and not with the what they play. And so, who are the people that you resonate with the most? Get along with and get along with. And if you don't get, al- I mean, you may have contum- you might have like spectacular arguments, but you know that, like when I was in the quintet, we had some some of the <laughs> most amazing knockdown dragouts. I've ever experienced as an adult and the only reason that it worked was because the even if we were firing mad at each other I knew that all four of those guys they're all guys when I was in all four of them had one goal in mind when we went on stage and that was to put on the best possible show for the audience so any kind of interpersonal thing like so getting along is important but jiving artistically with a person like if you really were passionate about uh, progressive jazz and I was super passionate about polka, we might be able to find an interesting way to make Combined. that happen. And that could be really cool. But it also could be the case that that was, you know, a bridge too far. Yeah, I don't know.
2: No, um, it's just yeah. take me into uh, two things. First, uh, you heard Randy Waldman Trio? I don't know jazz trio obviously they took all the standards and Beethoven 5 with a drum set uh, and an upright walking bass line just that type of outside the box thinking um,
1: so that- like it's bla- so like bad plus for classical rap you know the bad plus no that's another trio and that, I think sometimes they have a singer now you know the bad plus you would dig the Bad Plus, too. So is that
2: a trio and a singer? Is that four or is the trio? The, the, the okay. singer so that they have some three. T- trio is three. And then the... F- it's like a so they'd be a quartet.
1: jazz time. piano. What's, it's a <laughs> jazz piano trio with an occasional singer. And they would take pop tunes. Like they would take Smells Like Teen Spirit. And they would reinvent it as a really cool, like a Modesky, Martin, and Wood kind of instrumental pop version okay. of a thing. So it sounds like this. Yeah, trio sort of you're postmodern jukebox. Yeah, yeah, That yeah, type yeah, of idea yeah, yeah, yeah. of
2: just taking left, turning it. Yeah. Um, how do you market something that has no known value? Because I'm trying to get you to go. It's like an episode of Shark Tank. Hey, here's this great product. Mm-hmm. You should buy it. You should listen to it. I have no idea what that is.
1: Mm-hmm. How do? You, so how do? You... you can do it with a couple. I mean, you can do it with the the genre so you could do it with we are a brass quintet and so then people have an idea for a brass quintet or they go we know beethoven fifth and the entry point for people is beethoven's fifth and then you go except there's only three of us and they go oh interesting well what's that about and then you hear it in this jazz oh interesting so you the, you got to figure out where, what's the entry find point. the hook what's the story yeah okay so is this, Is this? yeah, the hook. What's the, what's the thing that would cause this to be remarkable? And I, I mean that in a literal sense. What would cause someone to remark about it to someone else? And if it's the fact that they're going to do the entire ring cycle in an hour with five people, you have my attention. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but it's like, okay. Interesting. I'm gonna go see what's, there I'm gonna event. go see. I'll at least give you a shot. And so a lot of people who've blown up on YouTube or at least I mean in the last ten years or whatever, how long's YouTube been around? You don't know you don't know. You're young. Has it been ten years?
2: I would think so. Okay. Yeah, maybe. So,
1: in the earlier days, so if you think of a group like Pomplamoose. I don't know if you've ever heard of Pomplamoose. No, so You were pulling out all these things. Pomplamoose <laughs> is a two person group with um, Jack Conti and uh, Natalie Dawn. And they, um, and Jack Conti went on to uh, co develop Patreon. He's the guy that put Patreon on the map, which is if you're an artist, it's a way for you, it's like an ongoing Kickstarter. If you're not familiar with it, it's a way for you to fund artists on an ongoing basis. So, for example, the podcast that I co-host, we have a Patreon. And so um, certain listeners contribute money for each episode. So it can be per piece of art, it can be per month, it can be lots of ways. But anyway, before that, he had this band, and he still does have this band, Pomplamoose, with he and his wife. And one of the ways they got on the map is they did did these really cool versions. There was all initially cover tunes they had covers and originals and the way they got attention for their originals was they made really cool videos and they did cool versions of pop tunes so they did single ladies was the first one that caused them to blow up and so then when people would search single ladies then they would get a little bit of the juice and then people would see the quality of the music and the quality of the videos and go hey they're pretty cool." And then, oh, I like this song, too. Oh, I like that song. Oh, and this is an original. I don't know this song. And they'd listen to it, and they oh, I like this original as well. So they built a following for their original tunes on the back of really creative reinventions of uh, pre-existing things.
2: And that goes back to what you were saying earlier. If, if there's not a good, solid musical foundation for what's happening, it doesn't matter the, what the production value yeah, is.
1: Yeah, you might get a one-shot. At it and then there's just like yeah okay that's no good
2: okay so um left turn a little bit you are podcast with Lance you're Lance sorry I am Lance. cut yeah. that out, I um, cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Andrew on the brass junkies yep you've done a lot of episodes I think you said you're on season five now.
1: yeah yeah we've see we weren't smart enough to do it in seasons we're you in just our fifth year we just have been going perpetually we're at uh episode 132 just aired okay. yeah so every other week
2: my question for you now uh out of all those podcasts yeah what is some really good advice that you've been able to take away from all the people you've talked to you've talked to many people many different genres mm-hmm. different interests. what are some things that you might be able to
1: I can tell Give you. Give us five
2: years into yeah, yeah, two yeah, yeah. sound bites. The
1: thing that have stood out to me the most are the stories. Well, how? Here just so the show <laughs> is called "The Brass Junkies," and we interview. I use the term guardedly famous brass players, um, and so the two of us kind of cabits is not unlike this. And we just sort of go wherever it goes, and you know, just tell jokes and stories and talk about whatever we feel like talking about usually about the person's career and their background. I'm um, One thing that has come up over and over and over again is meditation as a practice. Okay. A ton of um, really fine uh, brass players meditate. I meditate daily, so I, it's a thing I think about. But And as a side note, if you're a brass person, then this was this will be funnier to you than if you're not but a way disproportionate number of french horn players than than of the other brass instrumentalists cuz their game is it's a that's a, a, mental. a game of just it's microscopic uh, the, the 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 difference between success and failure is really 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 close but the other thing that has stuck with me the most are the stories of people who have overcome some sort of obstacle and for some of them it was coming from a you know a, a very very unfortunate childhood or background some of them came back we've had multiple people who've come back from Bell's palsy and explain what that process was like other people who've come back from injury and explain what that is like and it's interesting to hear not only how they did it but what in the world caused you to the whole rug was pulled out from under you you used to know how to do this thing and now you don't why did you keep trying like, why did you, Interesting. that's what, that's endlessly fascinating to me is, why did why not give up? Why not quit? Why not go do something that was easier? And these people just stuck it out because it was just like, and in, in most cases, if memory serves, they don't really have a good explanation. It was just, it was automatic. It was just, of course, I mean, there was no alternative. I was just, this was what I was going to go do. This was the, there was no plan B. I'm just going to go do this thing until I get it back together again. Uh, and that, that's been really, really uh, interesting. Just seeing the hear. paths to come yeah. back. and Yeah, there's just so many different ways to success and so many definitions of success. You get to decide what success means. Do you think those people
2: sort of define themselves by, like the difference between, I'm a tuba player oh. and I'm a person that plays the tuba.
1: Yeah, there are definitely people like that. Well, I I would say, the way I would say it is, there are artists who happen to play a particular brass instrument, and then there are people who became really, really good at whatever that instrument is, and then they they became career trumpet players or whatever it was. But there are unique individuals, like, you know, these aren't names, if you're not a brass person, won't mean anything to you, but Sam Palafian Mm -hmm. is an artist he was one of my mentors i'm going to play some of his music on wednesday uh for the recital here and um he is an artist who transcended the instrument yes. and there are people that 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 is the case for and not just in the brass world but just you know there are just people who are it didn't they were going to be a success what, no matter they what did. they did and they just happened to choose in his case the tuba as the vehicle for that you know and redefine well tuba is supposed to do this it's supposed but he did all of it he played with lionel hampton he played on pink floyd's the wall he played the premiere of the bernstein mass he played in a brass quintet he played you know the empire brass that we mentioned before he played he was an amazing composer he had this group called travel and light he had a group called uh which was just him and a guitar player uh, the Big Bottom Band, which was him and another tuba player. Like, that shouldn't work on paper. Dos Amigos is was a band that toured for a while with two tuba players and sometimes a percussionist. That's not supposed to happen, but if you're an artist, then the supposed-to-happen part you don't really worry about.
2: And that goes back to the bravery thing yeah. you mentioned before. I just, think that's just right. Just get out there and do it, and whatever happens, happens. Uh, look,
1: to all from the pop side, Like one of my favorite um, pop person... Is Elvis Costello, and to me, and I'm an old guy, so that's part of it. But part of it is that he's, to my mind, he's just fearless in terms of who he's chosen to collaborate with, when he decided to take left turns, and this is going to be kind of old timey music, and this is going to be jazz. He's got an album out with the Roots. He did a thing with a Toussaint song, which is sort of a New Orleans thing. Another one with Burt Bacharach, where he's just kind of, he just followed his artistic instincts and went wherever they led him and then we're the beneficiary of that and if he you know you take another pop singer I don't know pick one and so maybe this isn't fair I don't know John Cougar Mellencamp in my mind is John Cougar Mellencamp and there's like the faster ones and the slower ones but it's always John Cougar Mellencamp Mm -hmm. and he's in that track but Elvis Costello just about the time you peg him down he goes in another direction. Or Picasso is another one that goes in that direction. Or, I mean, I don't mean to keep picking old white dudes, but um, those are the ones that are coming to mind. Well, it's really, um,
2: I think a few years ago, Steven Tyler was down here Mm -hmm. doing a new recording. And to just sit back and think, how long has Aerosmith been around? And the constant reinvention of their band, their ideas, how they fit into the new trend that music's taking them. Um, that's one of the things I tell my students all the time, the, the S&M tour with the Symphony of Metallica with San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know, San Francisco's it was declining a little bit, their attendance. Well, let's rent out the outdoor park and team up with Metallica. And they're selling out ninety, hundred, thousand 100,000 tickets a show for two weeks to get a whole new set of audience members in there. Yeah. And just thinking outside the box is really yep. totally. underdeveloped skill for some people, I think. I
1: completely agree. And if you, it's like you've got these magic glasses that allow you to see stuff that people don't see. And if you put them on, then... Because you don't feel pigeonholed? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I lucked into was playing the euphonium. Lucked into? <laughs> well, because it's just, you're not supposed to be able to make a living doing playing, the, playing that instrument. And the other thing about that, so then I didn't, it was like, okay, fine. Well, there's no jobs. Then I'll just go figure out a way to do it because it's not going to be the normal way. So I just know baked into it. It's not going to be the normal way. That's just part and parcel. Here's your euphonium. There are no, there's one career path. And if you don't dig that one, good luck. You'll have to figure it out on your own. And the other part is that the repertoire is relatively new. It's like the, in terms of serious euphonium repertoire, to be generous, I would say it's a hundred years. I mean, there's pieces that are older than that. But we steal everybody else's music. So then there wasn't this preciousness about the repertoire where, yeah, there's some cool euphonium tunes and there's some good tuba tunes and there's some good pop tunes. And uh, I'm going to play a Tom Waits tune on Mm -hmm. Wednesday. I'm going to play a Kurt Vile song. I'm going to play just whatever song, whatever music resonates with me. Well, that's what I'm going to play, not because I, I feel like especially the, you know, the violinists and the pianists of the world, like they're playing from the canon and they're playing from the repertoire. And if they're not, then they're doing something wrong. But I was just never, I was never, I was a musical thief from day one. This was originally a violin piece. This was originally a vocal piece. This was, okay, fine. So we just take everybody's music, take the best everybody has and we'll play it. Fine. So that, I kind of, I think, I don't know it was chicken egg, but I think it definitely helped guide my worldview musically, because I just didn't feel precious about the instrument or the repertoire or the career path.
2: That's one of the things, when I was in Pittsburgh, um, studying with Murray, a mm-hmm. bass trumpet player at the Pittsburgh Symphony, would always say, if you took this etude to, to a violin player, do they know who he is? No. Why are you trying to play good music? when it's a bad composer <laughs> and that really just stuck with me like yeah we get self-included i you get the Roshu, the blazevich the tyrell books all those standard things yeah. that you're supposed to do and not bagging on them but playing the music of the Bach cello suites is way more musically engaging and it develops the innate right. musical patterns right. you can transfer it as opposed to trying to swim upstream with let's be a great musician playing bad music right know? and sorry if I said bad music but well uh, it's
1: gonna to be tough for a chef to use horrible ingredients now a chef a really good chef can figure it out but if they like an episode of chopped yeah exactly <laughs> but that's what it takes like you have to just be able to um, transcend it or you give the best ingredients to the best chef and then everybody wins mm-hmm. Yeah
0: really hate to cut things short oh you don't you're a
1: hater <laughs> haters gotta hate mark what's your major
0: entertainment industry entertainment
1: industry what do you hope is going to happen with your career
0: uh, i'm looking to move into being a music producer or a mixing engineer is what i really want to do
1: i see i see you're wearing a muscle shoals sound studio oh, yeah. shirt mm-hmm. so you want to be working behind the glass in there yes
0: oh not as nece- like not necessarily behind the glass but
1: like in all
0: aspects kind of because I'm a double major in the tech track and the business track. So just kind of well-rounded is kind of what I want to do.
1: What do you, What are you most excited about entering into the career field?
0: Uh, just being able to listen to all sorts of different types of music.
1: And what are you most afraid of?
0: Listening to all sorts of types <laughs> of music. <laughs> That's like the the hardest part for me so far has been like every, like when I'm going through practicing everything that i will have to do in the future like mixing it's just doing different different types of songs have different mixes and each instrument throughout the song has a different mix in itself so nothing will ever sound the same and nothing is ever you know approached the same way that's been the hardest part for me and I think that's until I've done it for years and years I think that's going to continue being my hardest Part.
1: it's true but I mean it's the same thing we just talked about if you're brave mm-hmm. and you just like own it and you just sit in it and you just listen and use your ears and your the hunk of gray stuff behind your eyeballs you're mm-hmm. gonna be fine just be brave little buckaroo <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: well I want to thank you guys for coming first off
2: absolutely thanks for having us when and do
0: we get paid see
2: going to order some pizza what and-
1: <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> This isn't recording yet, is it?
0: Mm. Let's see, I wish I could pay. <laughs> no, no, it's a I can't joke. I can afford to pay Mark. myself. <laughs> no, but um, definitely thank you guys for coming. Uh, do you guys have social medias you want to plug?
1: Sure. Mine is all at la 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 duke. Or if you just search my name, but la 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 duke is where I, I made it. Uh, just easy. You go to the, any of that on any of the socials and that's where I'll be. Perfect. The book faces. Uh, and Kreischer.
2: His web his uh, website yeah. is Bert, 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 dot because it's like, www.BurtBurtBurt. That's pretty <laughs> Very fun. simple way of thinking about it. Um, yeah, the Brass Studios are at UNA Brass
0: on, I think, all of the major social media networks. Okay, perfect. Um, if you guys, listeners, have any feedback from this episode, um, let us know what you liked. Let us know what you didn't like. Let us know how we can improve. Uh, You can send that to any of our social medias or email us at arts at una.edu. And just let us know what you think because I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Um, I definitely learned a lot from it as well. Um, So thank you guys for that as well. And then um, this is going to be posted on March 11th. That's a Wednesday. Um, Make sure you guys go check out everything else that we've put out. Um, like they had a conversation about meditation. We had, uh, when we had Vicki Golson on, she talked about meditation as well. So, um, go check us out, go check out, um, Lance, go check out UNA Brass, check out everything. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next week. Hey guys, make sure to check out all of our social medias. Feel free to send us your feedback at arts at
2: una.edu or through the DMs of any of our social media. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you in the future. This podcast has been brought to you by UNA School of the Arts. Executive producer is Mark Gallegos, co-produced by Selena Fugate and Tyler Hankins. Special thanks to Dr. Terrence Brown and the entire Soda staff.